This is my voice, my weapon of choice. Hello everybody, you are listening to IBS Radio, a podcast series on the migrant women experience. Brought to you by IBS, the international women's space. IBS has been a space for refugee women to come together and self-organize. We discuss, share, and exchange our stories, experiences, challenges, and struggles. We empower each other and empower ourselves to learn about and fight for our rights. Make sure to visit our website, iwspace.de, and subscribe to our podcasts. Hello, everyone. You are listening to EVS Radio. I'm Sharon from EVS, International Women's Space. And our topic today is being Jewish in Germany, anti-Semitism and anti-Jewish racism, especially now in uh, COVID times. Joining us today are Iris Hefetz, a psychoanalyst and the chair of the Jewish Voice for Peace in the Middle East, uh, Germany. Hello, Iris. Hello. And uh, Ina Michaeli, who is uh, also active in Jewish left groups, a feminist, lesbian activist, sociologist. Hello, Ina. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Iris. We are also pleased to have uh, Hannah Dischereit, who couldn't be uh, here today with us, but she sent us a recorded message to share with you. On uh, Saturday, the 29th of August, over 30,000 people marched in Berlin with absurd messages of uh, conspiracy theories, QAnon flags next to Reichsburgers, anti-vaxxers and so-called Querdenker, all of whom were very comfortable marching alongside Nazis. Many of those conspiracy theories are anti-Semitic, explicitly or implicitly. Uh, but anti-Semitism is not limited to the far right and to people like uh, Stefan Baliet, who is now on trial uh, for the attack on the synagogue in Halle last year and the killing of a bypassing woman and a man in a donor shop. And in our program today, we want to go deeper into understanding anti-Semitism within a broader context of racism in German society and the German idea of the Jew. Uh, so on one hand, we have the, we have the far-right image of the Jews controlling the media, the finance, and probably the masterminds behind COVID. Uh, and on the other hand, we have this mainstream uh, idea in Germany that often views Jews as uh, eternal victims. Now, to challenge those narrow and racist representation, I invite my guests in the studio to share their experience and discuss our identities and our activism on our own terms. Also, I would like to hear from our guests about their political work on themes of anti-Semitism, more broadly anti-racism and anti-colonial struggles like solidarity with Black Lives Matter, solidarity with other oppressed groups such as uh, Roma and Sinti, the Palestinian people and others. As uh, our guests come from diverse Jewish backgrounds and cultures, I invite you to share about your experience, uh, about what Jewish uh, mean to you. Iris, I would like to start with you. Uh, in Germany, many people don't even know that not all Jews are of European origin, and that there are many Jews of color, black Jews, and Jewish community and cultures from the Middle East, North Africa, and other regions. Can you tell us about your background, uh, your political activism as a Mizrahi Jew, Tell us what Mizrahi means, please. Um, and uh, I would also like to know if it still plays a role in your uh, life and activism here in Berlin. 
Yes, so um, I was born in, in Israel, in Be'er Sheva, which is a city located in the south of uh, Israel, uh, to a Moroccan mother. So my mother was a migrant, actually, who came with her family to Israel when she was 11 years old. And my father is a Palestinian. I mean, he's a Jew, but he was born uh, in Palestine to a family that lived there for the legends say seven generations. This is a magic number seven. <laughs> many Jews uh, that uh, lived in Israel for many generations says this number, but I'm, it's probably um, uh, true because his family came also from Morocco after um, the Reconquista, the uh, conquering of, of Spain through the uh, Christian uh, forces, and then the Jews and the Muslims were expelled. Uh, from Spain and, and Portugal and had to leave. And his family left to Morocco and uh, came across the, the Maghreb to Palestine. Um, and this was the narrative also of the family. The Moroccan background was neglected, to say the least, or denied. So since my father gave us the wonderful name Hefetz, which is a Russian name actually because his father was Russian, I grew up as an Ashkenazi, which means, I mean, European Jew. And I was also socialized in this way. I was considered in the school to be Ashkenazi, which means also I was destined to, to go to, to school, to have an academic career, to have a different voice in the class where I was. And my mother cooperated with it. So actually, I didn't know that I'm Mizrahi, let's say, although now thinking about it from a psychoanalytic point of view, it's, it is really crazy since, I mean, to be identified as a woman and like my mother is a woman is also to cut this connection. And this connection was restored when I was pregnant <laughs> at that time. And then I realized suddenly that I'm actually Mizrahi. Mizrahi means it's a social, social, social category, I would say, um, which... Uh, puts together in a cluster all Jews that came from non-European countries. Uh, and this is not the same like Sephardim. Sephardim is the term that used uh, in a more religious way, which means Jews that are descending from Spain originally. And these are also Bulgarians, Romanian Jews. Mizrahi, these are the Jews that are considered in Israel itself to be the, the other. I would say it means also Georgian uh, Jews or uh, Jews from Iran, Jews, of course, from the Maghreb, Arabic Jews, proper Arabic, like Jews from Yemen or Iraq or Egypt. Uh, and all these Jews are clustered in this category because they were um, repressed as such. Um, it, when I discovered that, then I became more active in this issue. But it was rather in Berlin that I started to raise my voice. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit how it's, um, uh, how your activism in Berlin is related to it? Mm -hmm. um, I was an editor of uh, an Israeli uh, website. At that time, websites were much more popular than today uh, for a Mizrahi discourse that was really radical and uh, was also um, under surveillance of uh, Israeli um, intelligence. Uh, forces, because Mizrahis, the radical Mizrahis, are talking about something which is very threatening for the Israeli Jewish society. We were talking about the try to uh, to split 
between Arabs, according to the religion and their constructed nationality. So separation between Muslim Arabs and Christian Arabs on, the, on one side and the Jewish Arabs on the other side, which are actually, if we put them together, are the majority in Israel. So if we look in Israel on the population, we see there is an Arab majority and actually an Ashkenazi minority, like in South Africa. But this Ashkenazi white, in Israel white, in Europe they are not white, yeah? but this white minority are um, in the, the highest position of, of Israel. They are controlling the politics of Israel. To talk, about like, to talk about it like that, that's, uh, that's very threatening in the Israeli society. Mm. And you wrote a wonderful article uh, about being Mizrahi uh, Jew in Berlin. Um, we will put a, a link mm-hmm. uh, on our website. Uh, however, it's in Hebrew. Uh, if, you can, if one of the listeners speak Hebrew, you mm. can uh, find the link on the website. Uh, can you tell us also shortly uh, what brought you to be active in the Jewish voice uh, in Germany? Mm-hmm. Ah, and by the way, congratulations uh, on the Göttingen Frieden Prize that you got last year. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that was an initiative of Jews that uh, were living here and were active b- already before I came to Berlin uh, on, on the issue of Israel and Palestine. Um, and then uh, we decided to be active also as Jews because in Germany, when you are active uh, in the Palestinian uh, cause, in this um, issue, then you are... automatically accused to be anti-Semitic. So we thought we have to raise our voice and to speak on that matter. So it's not going to be that easy to accuse us as anti-Semites, which is not always the case, of course. Um, and also one of the, um, the idea was that Germans tend to identify uh, with Israel and Jews automatically. And they have their own good Jews. And if... We give them a different picture, then they have to choose and to think themselves and not just to identify automatically with one um, picture of the Jew, so we can open a space to think and to decide yourself. Thank you. Ina. Um, you were born in Russia. Back then it was still part of the Soviet Union, right? Uh, you came to Israel with your family in the 90s. And came to Germany 10 years ago. Uh, can you tell us what being Jew means for you and how it changed from one part of the world to another? So yeah, as you say, I was born in uh, Russia in Soviet Union at the time, so it was a communist society and connecting to your religion, your tradition was not really that much of an option, I think, for most Jews, including my family. And so We grew up, I grew up with um, Jewish identity as more of a um, like cultural or even ethnic identity rather than religion or, or any kind of practice. And um, of course, you know, I was not supposed to tell in school that we are going to Israel so people will not know that we are Jews and, and, and stuff like that. And I knew that there were cases of discrimination for my parents at their workplace and, and so on. And um, but I think also, The trauma of my grandparents from um, the war and the Holocaust and losing their family was also part of like really cutting with the past and the tradition and kind of you know people were trying to look forward and not to not to be reminded of their trauma as much as possible so 
there was not much connection to religion and, and to history and, and heritage. And then coming to Israel um, uh, when I was nine years old, it was um, framed by the Israeli establishment as, you know, coming home. There were one million of, of Jews coming from um, uh, from Russia under, um, and as a Soviet Union countries um, under the law of return. And it took me years to understand it never felt like coming home. It felt like migration, which had, you know, ups and downs and traumas that there were no place to recognize. And then years later, um, with, um, you know, developing my political awareness and, and identity that I realized, yeah, it felt like migration, but it was actually becoming part of a settler colonial project. And so figuring out what that means for my identity. And then coming to Germany. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think like you mentioned, Sharon, that understanding that here um, uh, Judaism is perceived as religion primarily, even though it's very clearly racialized. Um, I think a lot of Jews from Russia who, and Ukraine who came here um, also in the 90s directly were quite shocked to understand that it's perceived as religion. It's not how many of us perceived it. Um, but also as sort of this eternal victimhood and being reduced to that and not and not really being recognized in your full humanity, I think, yeah, in the last 10 years um, also brings up an entirely different set of questions and experiences for me around our political agency and our own voice. Thank you for sharing. I will be happy to hear more about it uh, soon. Um, so thank you for sharing. And uh, later on, we will also uh, hear from uh, Hannah, Hannah Dischereit, about uh, her experience growing up here. Uh, but uh, let's first take a break and listen to one thong song before moving uh, to talk about representation of Jews in, in German media and discourse. Uh, Ina, would you like to tell us about the song we're going to hear? Yeah, so we're going to listen to um, a song by the Lebanese singer Yasmin Hamdan, uh, Beirut, because um, Beirut is very much in my thoughts, and I know for many of us as well, also with the amazing social protests that have been going on there um, recently, but then also the explosion and the horrible situation there, and um, basically just sending um, a lot of thoughts and solidarity to Beirut. I grew up... Um, in Haifa, which is just a few hours drive to Beirut, but of course never could go there. Um, and I just want to thank my very, very dear friend Nitsan, who um, keeps educating me about um, music from Swana, which is the decolonial term for um, Southwest Asia and North Africa. <laughs> Sid al
Welcome back. Ina, you mentioned before the eternal victim and the way Jews are represented in the German discourse. As for myself, I grew up in Israel in a secular Ashkenazi home uh, with German roots, roots. And I never actually perceived myself as Jewish, simply as Israeli. Yeah? It is only after I came to Germany and experienced pressure from the Germans to be uh, something I never felt I am that I had to speak up. Because I saw that when Germans speak about the Jews, it is something that was completely foreign to me. And it was like, I was like, this is not who I am. Yeah? And so this was the beginning of, uh, of, of me developing my Jewish identity as pure political identity. Because it's often like this, that a minority is forced to define themselves Uh, against or versus the distorted and racist ways that the majority views them. Like Hannah Arendt said, yeah, if one is attacked as a Jew, one must defend oneself as a Jew. I love that we are quoting Hannah Arendt in this show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but let's stay with this uh, topic for a bit. Uh, would you like to expand uh, a bit on the representation versus reality and share uh, an experience uh, dealing with this? Yes, that's an everyday uh, experience, actually, uh, for me, too, because I also grew up in a secular family, and a, a special secular family, since um, both my parents came from, actually, religious um, uh, families. But my mother understood very quickly what does it mean to be a good migrant in Israel. It means that you have to erase your... Um, experience, your biography, your past. So the moment she married my father, from one day to another, she stopped practicing all her Jewish practices. Um, 
she's still uh, keeps Yom Kippur when she's not eating on that day and she will not never eat uh, pork. But other than that, she just assimilated kind of into the Israeli idea and she became Israeli. That was the, the moment it was born, kind of, when she became also Hefetz, with the name of uh, my father. And this is also how I grew up. I grew up like you, that I was an Israeli, I was not a Jew, and that is the essence of being an Israeli. It's the negation of Judaism, actually. We are Israelis in, in that we are not Jews. We are non-Jews. So I became also a Jew when I came to, to Germany and I was, I was treated like a Jew and like a specific Jew. The, the image of the Jew in, German, in the German idea, which means I must be in love with Israel. <laughs> All Jews are great and idealized. Um, maybe I also came to reclaim my property in, in uh, Germany, my lost property. And it was clear that I'm also coming back to Germany because the Jews are coming back. So I'm part of this coming back, although I had nothing uh, with Germany as a, in, in my uh, own biography. Um, so this has to be with actually not being seen as the person I am, like Ina said before. It's, it's the, the projection of Germans what a Jew is and what a Jew should be that can uh, release them from their guilt feelings uh, and mostly, I would say, fear from their own aggressiveness. Because, I mean, the Jew is the one that was murdered actually, and was expelled. So now it's a big relief when Jews are coming. It means that we, German, and I will talk, of course, in such um, categories because we are talking about sociological category, and this is the way I was treated also, yeah, like in, in this category of Jew. So we Germans are now good Germans. We worked our past uh, through, and now the Jews are coming back, and that's the proof. And these Jews are these victims. So it means that also the, it, it's kind of dehumanization of us as people that have many other uh, stories which are not fitting to the story that the majority here needs in order to live with itself easier. I'm, uh, I, I, I would like to add to that because even even though I come from a different background than Iris, I can I can really identify and I always feel so alienated when I'm I'm seeing, for example, the popular media representation of the Jew. You know, you have this uh, picture of this uh, the man with the kippah uh, from the back. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, the kippah is uh, this um, little. Um, Head, um, yes, head covering that usually men um, wear um, in a religious um, context or just traditional. Um, but usually also it's an Israeli flag on this kippah. It's white with a circle, a blue circle and a, a star of day. Star of day, blue star of day lights the flag. Yeah, huh? so completely, completely mixing Israel and Jews, but that's, that's the reality yeah. of our life here. And then... Um, also, the content around it, and that it always comes um, in the context of victimhood, um, was something that was very strange for me. Um, also, you know, 
as a feminist, as queer, as a strongly opinionated person in general, who kind of likes to have her voice heard. Um, and then coming across this very, very strong discourse in Germany that is willing to see me only as a victim and to reduce me to experiences of trauma. Some of them I have, some of them I don't. And... Um, And to see that whenever I don't fit in this idea of what it means to be a Jew or a good Jew, then either I'm seen as a bad Jew or not recognized as a Jew at all or canceled as a self-hating Jew. And for me, it's not just denial of my Jewish identity. It's also denial of my humanity because it's very human that you find yourself as the oppressed or as the oppressor. In some contexts, you are the victim, and in some contexts, you are the aggressor. And so being reduced to just one part you know, of the human condition is something that I experience as very racist, and also in this context as, as anti-Jewish racism that um, I think is really the main form of, of anti-Semitism I come across in Germany. So um, you mentioned anti-Semitism, the term. So are you ready? Let's jump into deep water. Let's talk about anti-Semitism. Okay. Uh, Germany adopted uh, the definition of anti-Semitism from the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, the IHRA, despite a lot of critique, also from Jewish scholars and scholars of the Holocaust, and including even one of the co-authors of the definition, uh, Kenneth Stern. So Iris, the Jewish Voice for Peace also objected this definition. Can you shortly explain to us why? Mm -hmm. And was this critique at, at all heard in Germany? Mm -hmm. um, well, we objected like many others because first of all, it's not a definition. Let's start with it. Um, it's a very vague description of what anti-Semitism can be. Um, and it means that it opens a space to use anti-Semitism in various, or abuse, I would say, in various ways which also affects us. And it leads also to uh, the condition that, for example, uh, RIAS, this is the organization who registrates anti-Semitism uh, attacks uh, in um, Germany, reported uh, last year that more than 50% of um, attacks, anti-Semitic anti attacks, were done by Jews to a German non-Jews. <laughs> so this ridiculous um, result, I think, is a result of this um, a definition, which means, for example, that Germans that are being hurt, German non-Jews, yeah, that are being hurt, hurt when they see Israeli that protest against the Israeli government, report it as an anti-Semitic attack, which is a totally perversion of what anti-Semitism is on whose perpetrator and whose uh, victim is. So actually, this is one of the results of this um, uh, definition. The critique uh, was not heard in the beginning. Now when it's more clear how... Um, disruptive it is and how problematic this definition is and how much censorship it, it can cause. Now we hear critique in the last um, weeks, I would say endlessly also Germans, non-Jews Germans are speaking, intellectuals, 
uh, for example, and people that are dealing with culture um, in, in the culture uh, film field, um, they are criticizing uh, that more and more. But there is a German, I would say, German conformism, which is uh, something unique to Germany, that this definition was adopted, I think, because of fear. It became kind of label, if we adopt it, then we're good Germans. <laughs> so it's, of course, very temptating. Yeah, would you like yeah. to add? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really would like to jump in because I think for me, I'm also struggling with the question, like, who has the power in Germany to define what anti-Semitism is? And then if you look, for example, at the people at the, you know, the anti-Semitism research centers and universities, you, you see that... Um, This field of knowledge, and we know that knowledge is power, is really disconnected from Jewish life experiences and um, taken sort of as a, you know, an abstract discourse to master and not a way to theorize and politicize our life experiences. And, um, and when you say, excuse me, what you are saying actually is completely unrelated to my experience, I think Iris gave very good examples, then, you know, you are told you just don't understand enough. So it almost becomes a field for this sort of white supremacist perspective, which is about moral superiority and abstract knowledge. And um, um, I can give just one example of how I experience it in a really negative way, and it's... Um, this idea that I'm hearing um, in Germany, how anti-Semitism is completely unrelated to racism and is a completely different thing. And I really experienced that as a very um, manipulative strategy to isolate Jews from other minorities politically. I think um, also something that is supported by the state So they could have their pet minority and um, continue exercising racism towards all other minorities. So what it means for our ability to be in solidarity with other groups, but also this idea of how Jews are so special, you know, and, and what are the anti-Semitic roots of that? Um, yeah, and, and, and as I said, what does that mean for for our ability to be in solidarity with, with other minorities and how we perceive ourselves in this, in this society. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's a good point, you know, with this, how special we are. Actually, I mean, Jews can be tempted or seduced to believe we are so special. And this is the kind of a very problematic hag that we are getting from the German society. But actually, it's about German speciality. It's not about us. We are being used. We are the, the object of German speciality. Because, and I would say this is something very narcissistic and very destructive also. Because Germans perceive and defend also this point of view that the Holocaust is something very special. Only Germans could do something so awful. And this is also a kind of perversion to take the evil and to make something special and kind of good out of it. Only we Germans could do something so murderous, so industrial, so that and that. And that justifies that we are going to treat the Jews like that. And the moment we, for example, in I and I, do not behave according to this image, then we are destroying 
this German kind of deal of we are good because we did something so evil that we are now compensating for through Jews that are only the victims here. If we come and we say, sorry, but we are not your victims, maybe in a secondary way because we are Israelis and you support Israel and we were brought to Israel in order to maintain this colonial um, state, then we are, we are um, disturbing Yeah? And I can understand from this point of view that they want us out of this discourse. They don't want to hear our voice. Yeah, it's interesting that it's always like they talk about the, uh, how important the Jews, but actually they are the center of the discourse always. Yeah. Ina, would you like to add anything? Yeah, have... I mean, I just want to say, you know, I, I didn't grow up here, and I know from friends, from Jews who did grow up in Germany, that uh, for many, uh, there's been like many moments of this really being a nightmare. It's not easy for many to grow up here as, as Jews in a German society. Um, and I wonder if that also has something to do with this sort of bear hug, you know, of the German establishment that gives people illusion of safety that everybody really need. But I think for me, it's, it's important to say, I, I'm not buying this. Like I, I, and, and just to connect it to my point on isolation from other minorities, I think that's, that's really a divide and rule kind of strategy. And, um, Yeah, and what you get in return from being isolated from other minorities is this illusion of safety. But I, d I don't think that's true, and I don't think we can rely on this feeling of safety at all. And it's really important for me to, to carry this feeling of vulnerability with me living here. Uh, we will talk about solidarity among Jews and other minorities um, after the short break. Uh, we are going to listen to a song by um, a band from Tel Aviv. Uh, they are called uh, Def Chunky. Ina, am I pronouncing this right? Def Chunky. Def Chunky. Not bad. What does it yeah. mean? Um, it's a slang for girls. Girls. Uh, the song is called uh, Silence is Violence.
Están escuchando a IBS Radio. Você está ouvindo IBS Radio. Atenção que você IBS Radio. Tegan, a IBS Radio Okay, we're back. We just listened to Silence is Violence by Divchonki. Um, you can find it uh, on our website, the link to the album and Bandcamp, where you can listen to a really amazing album. It's called Harsh. So you can listen to it. You can also buy it. Now, uh, Hannah Dischereit couldn't be with us here today. She's in Ulm, witnessing the last stages of a trial against five young adults who, uh, last year, in May 2019, attacked a Roma family, throwing burning torch at them at uh, Erbach by Ulm. Now, uh, Hannah Dischereit studied in Heidelberg and Berlin. She did a master in futurology. And now she's uh, working for the Association of Sinti and Roma in Baden-Württemberg. Uh, since years, she's engaged in anti-racist work, especially in context of, of the NSU murders, um, and was part of the NSU civil uh, tribunal in Köln and Mannheim. We asked Hannah to share about her experience growing up Jewish in Germany and her work with the Roman Sinti communities. Uh, let's listen to the interview. Hi. Sadly, I cannot be with you in the studio today, uh, that's because I'm visiting a trial in Ulm against five young adults. There were uh, Romani people working in a village and right after they arrived, the, the rumors started, people started talking and there were a lot of like little steps of violence from these adults. And um, the last step was that they threw a torch um, against the caravan and Luckily, it was like one meter far apart from the caravan where a mother and a nine-year-old baby slept in. And the public prosecutors, they investigated nearly from the beginning, not, not uh, right away, but it was like very close. They started to investigate about uh, tried murder and tried arson attack which is for us already like the highest that we could have wanted in this case. And they investigated and the young adults uh, had to stay in prison while the investigation was going on. Also in the beginning of the trial, uh, which um, is very interesting because like the village didn't make any statements about what happened. Um, and even now when the adults uh, came free, they are, uh, we had to push the mayor and at least the mayor did say something about it, that what they did, that that was a bad thing. And uh, we're concentrating on the, on the village because um, there's a lot of parallels how they, how they talk about uh, Jewish people <laughs> and uh, how they talk about this, um, this, this trial or this case. Um, because there was a Jewish um, Sammelager, a collection warehouse where um, Jewish, old Jewish people were brought in and 17 people died. And since 1989, they are discussing if they can put a memory plaque on, uh, on this collection warehouse. So we have now 2020, a lot of years passed and still until now they don't have a memory plaque. Um, 
yeah, that's uh, an interesting conversation going on in the village and uh, they really don't want to talk so much about the Nazi history and also they don't want to talk about this actual case where Roma people, Romani people uh, got attacked in their village. I'm a German Jew, that's how I would identify myself. For me, growing up in Germany as a German Jew um, was mm, mostly I, I thought of myself as a Jewish person because of the Shoah, because of what we have many survivors in our family who survived by hiding in Berlin. And um, there was always in the family a talk, like if we came back, like when the family survived and came back to the synagogue, that the other Jews looked at them and said, like, it cannot be that you survived. If you survived, you must be a collaborator with the Nazis. Um, so it was like, there was a little bit, uh, I think, uh, hanging around still when I was a kid, like hanging around in my head, I mean. And um, when my mother asked me if I want to do the bat mitzvah, I said no. Because I, I, I didn't identify myself so much about the religion. And when I looked at the other people, I said, well, I don't know if you really know what's a Jew. Because I, um, I would mostly identified um, with the Shoah history. But I was never afraid uh, to, to tell my class um, that I'm Jewish. I always did it and um, took the consequences. And it was always interesting reactions. But um, so, but actually I found out a couple of years ago that I, there are more steps even to be more open um, with this identity in, for example, in friendships. Um, because I was, uh, I got active in this uh, NSU tribunal, which is an organization about, like we did uh, a tribunal in 2017, a civil tribunal in 2017, in Köln about the NSU murder cases and about the murders from the 90s in Germany or even before and it was uh, it was valued my perspective and then I learned well okay I don't have to put it in the background um, of my identity I can also put it sometimes in the foreback and um, so this changed also uh, friendships because they didn't realize that as a Jewish person you grew you grew up differently um, yeah, but even like uh, being the only Jewish person in a in a political group, it's um, always difficult to make uh, <laughs> to make your perspective heard or or not um, to let uh, this typical discussion start about uh, yeah other like topics um, about anti-Semitism where you think well okay I don't really know if I want to talk with you about it. I see a lot of parallels working with the Romani uh, community. There are so many key parallels. Like the first thing that I experienced was um, that the people said, well, um, oh, we have the same history. When I say, hi, I'm Hana and yeah, well, I'm Jewish. Then they say, uh, oh, we have the same history. Or oh, some people said, um, we have the same history. And for me, it was very interesting um, because there was this trust and of course, there's um, we, we have like um, a history of persecution long before the Nazis and when the Nazis are there and also after the Nazis. 
and like the Jewish uh, people were the ones in power and the uh, Romani people were the, were the criminals in the system, the people, and the, the not educated people or poor people. And when I look in the history of Romani people, I see a lot of trust to Jewish people. There was always uh, a kind of trust. You know, wh where do you, for example, like where you, who do you give you money to if you uh, go in, on, on a journey? And um, Jewish people were the ones to trust. And in, even like in the history here, when I, in the, like in the current history, we have in Baden-Württemberg the state contract. Uh, like we have a contract with the state and um, preparing this uh, contract, we looked at the Jewish community and looked, okay, how are they organizing? And um, so we still, uh, I think, um, are like, there's a lot of exchanging moments. Uh, but I think what is really, really unique is that Romani people in Germany have a civil rights movement. I think this is even in German, his German history very unique. And it's uh, very different how they got where they got now. And this was mostly because they were not recognized as victim of the Shoah. And this is where I see a mirror, like what could have been happened if the Jewish were not seen as officially victims of the Shoah. Um, and it's hard to see. Nearly 90% of the Romani people in Germany um, got murdered. So there's a lot of culture missing. There's the language missing, Romanists. Um, the ones who survived are mostly like strong kids who have maybe never been to school. So they have a big, big lack of education. Still, like, like the, the institution didn't recognize them as victims till, till the 80s. And uh, even in 54, like the... Uh, Bundesgerichtshof said, well, those people are criminals. So they repeated it constantly. And uh, also the police was investigation against uh, Romani people in Germany. So there is a mirror looking at like what could have been happen if, or what happens if you don't get recognized as uh, officially victim of the Shoah. And, um, and they had to fight for everything, for every memorial. Even now, like the la the big memorial in Berlin is standing uh, since 2012. That's really new history. And now we have the conflict that um, the politicians or that the Bahn um, wants to put uh, a railway under this um, memorial and there's a big fight going on. Um, and it's so until now, like, Memory is still something you have to fight for in the Romani community. Thank you, Hannah, for sending us this message. Uh, I wish you were here and we have so many questions to you. Uh, maybe we'll have to do it another time. Uh, but thank you for sharing about your experience growing up here and about your political work. Um, for the listeners, you can find uh, her biography on our uh, internet uh, page. You can also find a, a link for a fantastic comic that uh, Hannah recommended us to read, The Cat of the Rabbiners, The Cat of the Rabbi. Um, would you like to comment what we just heard? Yeah, very much. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy that I, I got to know Hannah, thanks to this show and us being here um, I have to say that what she mentioned with the Roma and Sinti memorial being threatened when I saw that it was so clear to me that we have to be there and we have to be there as Jews also to be in solidarity and also 
like recognizing my own privilege. I cannot imagine that, you know, the Jewish Holocaust Memorial would have been threatened that way because it stands in the way of a rail project. And it was, so we just came, went there as, as you know, a bunch of friends. Um, and I found it so sad and, and upsetting that there was no, like we were the only ones who were there as Jews. There was no, you know, formal statement of solidarity or any presence from, you know, the Central Council of Jews in Germany. And um, I also, I think we all felt also very welcomed in the demo and that our um, solidarity was really appreciated and, and accepted. And um, it's really sad for me to feel alienated from sort of the Jewish establishment in, in Germany. I think I would have loved to have more connection. But um, I'm, I'm really seeing that in, in many ways, the Central Council, for example, are, are really in many ways, complicit in this special treatment they are getting, not just passively complicit, but actively. Um, I was I was really, um, yeah, I was really um, shocked when a few years ago, the Schuster, Josef Schuster, the head of the Central Council said, well, the number of refugees from Muslim and Arab countries coming into Germany should be limited. Because apparently, you know, if their government has anti-Jewish or anti-Israeli sentiments, as if it's the same, but, you know, um, we leave that alone, you know, then they deserve to die in the Mediterranean Sea. And, you know, to for me, to as a Jew in Germany, also as a human being, as a feminist, to be here and to speak for, you know, for refugee rights on, and for the ability for ev anyone, you know, to flee from danger and to get safe heaven. Like, if that's not your position, then what are we even talking about? Yeah, I would like to go on from this point, um, because as far as I know, it was not all the time like that with the Central Council of the Jews. Uh, in the times of Heinz Galinsky, for example, it was clear that the Central Council was speaking also for Romani people. And I think it's a big kind of success, unfortunately, of the German institution doing this going into this complicity with the Central uh, Council of Jews, uh, because both sides have an inner interest to believe that we are now protected here as Jews, we are getting this hug. Uh, it reminds me once, um, I think it's, it's in one of the books on Franz uh, Fanon, that uh, he's talking about Aimé César, who is uh, passing by and he sees a group of uh, black young people. And they are talking about Jews and kind of a bit maybe happy that uh, people talk about Jews like that, in, in not in a good manner. And in Cesar, I think he was that, that he talks to them, don't laugh about it. Remember, always when they are talking about Jews, they are talking about you. And I think that we tend to forget it as Jews in this hug, that always when they are talking about Muslims or refugees or black people, they are talking about us. And in Halle, for example, it was all of a sudden, kind of clear to many Jews, oh, I mean, this hug covers something deeper, which is much more dangerous. And it's not by chance that in, in Halle, the, the main target was synagogue, but afterwards there was um, a woman, a woman um, who was shot, a man in a Döner Imbis, and one um, a refugee from Somalia. Nobody talks about him, 
but uh, he was also hurt when uh, the the perpetrator, when he ran away with his car, he hit him um, on the way, and he's also part of this um, uh, trial. Um, so this is kind of Halle is kind of end of the illusion. I hope so that it will also be end of the illusion um, for the central. Um, uh, Central Central Council of, of the Jews in Germany. Being very optimistic. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. But I think that it means that there are cracks. But this was already one year ago. Did mm -hmm. you hear any statement from them about this topic? No. Mm, not really. Um, not really. It's also, we, we have also to remember who were the Jews that were... Uh, in Halle. And this is also one of the problems about the Jewish community in, in Germany. Some of them were, I mean, there are hardly Jews in Germany. <laughs> this is, we have a symbolic, we have a lot of meaning. What we are talking about, 200,000 people, which is not even Mannheim. <laughs> And these Jews are, many of them are Jews from the former Soviet Union, which are also rejected or let's say the, the treatment to them in the Jewish community is very ambivalent because they are threatening the hegemony of, of the old kind of Jews here in Germany. And in Halle, there was a group of American Jews who came to strengthen this uh, synagogue and they came from Berlin actually and from the USA. So it also shows us that we have hardly um, uh, Jews here, but uh, this group from the United States, they are much more politically. But of course they are not... I'm not sure that they are that affiliated to the uh, general council of Jews. Yeah, and, and you know, I want to I want to connect that to the ways that um, we see, you know, who are really hurt in those attacks. We see that our, you know, our fate is connected, as our history is connected, our present, and still we see a lot this instrumentalization of anti-Semitism for spreading. Islamophobia and for sort of projecting German anti-Semitism on Muslims and really strengthening anti-Muslim racism and also anti-refugee, not just the sentiments, but actually the politics, you know, that leads people to die. And I think for me, I'm very suspicious when I hear this discourse about anti-Semitism in Germany. And for me, it's a question... Like, where does the opposition to anti-Semitism comes from your broader anti-racist agenda? And where it actually serves to ignore or even strengthen other forms of racism? And it's also important for me to not just see myself as, as a victim in this situation, but also the many forms of privilege of being, you know, white or white passing in this society. Um, which is, of course, also the other side of the erasure of, of Jews of color. And um, we hear this, you know, this narrative about, yeah, anti-Semitism is, is rising, like it's rising all the time. But let's talk about what's actually happening, which is that the right wing here is becoming stronger. And yes, of course, even though I'm not visible as a Jew in the street and I'm not, uh, and I'm seen as white, you know, worst case Russian. <laughs> um, but um, of course, I'm afraid, you know, when the IFD are getting into the parliament and where like thousands and thousands of neo-Nazis uh, march through the streets, of course, it's threatening for us as well. But um, 
there's there's really complexity here. I think when we speak about solidarity of being very clear where you're oppressed and where you have your privileges. Yeah, and I think it's also very threatening what we are saying now for the German society. There are German individuals, individuals that really went through uh, hard work as for uh, their families and the perpetrator part in them. We're, I'm talking more about the institutions. And in the institutions, for example, we see um, how they try to split between Jews and other uh, minorities. For example, when Sarazin says, I mean, these Muslim uh, children who are not willing to study, not like this uh, Ostjudische Mädchen, I mean, these uh, uh, girls from uh, East Jewish families, from East Europe, these were the people that were uh, murdered yeah, many years ago, what many years ago, I mean, 80 years ago, in concentration camps, and now they become the good, and they are played against the Muslims. So I was, for example, attacked by the Tats, yeah, it's a liberal, lefty, um, uh, newspaper in Germany for um, giving an interview to an internet site which calls Muslim Markt. Because I was talking with Muslims, which is something you shouldn't do, yeah, as as a, as a Jew um, in Germany. So, after all, I was attacked as a Mizrahi Jew who was able to be in in Israel. My mother was able to grow up in Israel because the Nazis were not active in. In North Africa, yeah, they were the in Israel. Thirty, forty percent of Jews are of Mizrahi origin, because and because they were the minority for the Holocaust. Actually, they they can become as much as Ashkenazi Jews because they were not exterminated. Yeah, so I was as a as one who was saved by not being under German occupation, attacked that I'm talking with Muslims by Christians, yeah, who did this <laughs> um, awful thing. It's like totally perversion of uh, roles, yeah? yeah? So, I mean, it feels like Germany is using anti-Semitism to avoid dealing uh, with questions of racism. Uh, and actually now in times like this, we can see how it all erupts, like this, uh, all this anti-Semitism in the conspiracy theories around COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we are now arriving soon to the end of our program, so I would like to ask if there anything last you would like to add. Yeah, I hope, I mean, first of all, thank you for inviting me. It's always um, empowering also for me to be here among uh, many uh, women, and that I hope that uh, we can help through also talks like that to overcome this um uh, splitting uh, trials that are coming from the, um, the institutions and do many things together in order to go against it, together, of course, with many white Germans who also can see this problem. Yeah, I, I, I think, and also, you know, when, when we mentioned... Halle and you know the recognition that yeah it's it's not only an anti-Semitic attack it's also anti-women and anti-feminist it's also Islamophobic and um, also connecting it to other hate crimes and what we have seen in Hanau for example and yes. um, I think 
you know, for whatever, you know, strange reasons life have led us or we have brought ourselves to this place. And um, we are, we are the people who live here now. And it's, it's, I think, in our hands together with and hopefully in, in solidarity with, with other groups here to be creating the kind of society in which we want to live and, and claiming our own voice and our political agency. And I really think that it's just by connecting with each other in this way and, and, and speaking out that, um, you know, that we expose those really, you know, narrow and... Um, ridiculous representations to to really be what they are a kind of you know hegemonic way of silencing us or you know controlling um, sort of our public image and just taking those matters into our own hands so I would I would think that uh, like from what you say like talking about anti-semitism it would make sense if we want to create a safer society it would make sense to speak about it in a broader frame of anti-racism like we said in the beginning exactly and if you tell me that anti-semitism is so different and it has nothing to do with racism then excuse me i am telling you anti-semitism and anti-jewish racism is a form of racism And of course, um, in a racist society, no minority, also no, the Jewish, will not be safe. Actually, nobody will be safe in a racist society. And this is probably the strongest message from our talk today. Uh, so I would like to thank, uh, to thank you, the guests in the studio. And special thanks to Hannah, who recorded the message for us. And best of luck in the trial. And thank you for the uh, listeners. Uh, we are on We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio. It's on 88.4 in Berlin and 90.7 in Potsdam. You can listen to We Are Born Free Empowerment Radio every Friday and Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. and on Sunday from 1 to 5 p.m. Now we will end the program with a last song uh, by a band from Leipzig, a recommendation from Hannah, so thank you Hannah again, a band called Frau Sammer and if I get it correctly, with my German. Uh, the song is talking about mansplaining. Your uh, German is great. What are you talking about? It's true. <laughs> uh, but here we would like to dedicate the song to all the Germans who like to explain to us what anti-Semitism really is. And uh, because, of course, they always know better. Sie halten Messer und Gabel im oberen Drittel, ganz locker. Nicht zu weit vor, nicht zu weit hinten. Batterie anschließen und...
genommen, ich besitze hier, ich erkläre Ihnen das jetzt immer kurz, ja, ich werde jetzt nicht zu weit ausholen, ich spreche Ihnen jetzt immer runter, hier konzentrieren Sie sich im Grunde genommen nur auf diesen einen, auf den einen Schalter hier an aus, der Rest, äh, den machen wir, das ist doch zu kompliziert, das ist ja ganz, ist ja ganz einfach, ne, genau. Transcripts and a German translation of today's episode will also be available there soon.